You could take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Pastor Kyle, I love that song. I, it, that, that chorus just encapsulates what I believe is the right approach to a worship service like this. Uh, one of the cornerstones of my preaching ministry is Colossians 1.28. And that's where Paul says, We preach Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect, the word means mature in Christ Jesus. Here's how Christian maturity comes about. It comes about as you and I see the glory of Christ in His Word, as we begin to realize that Jesus is better than anything, and as we get, begin to value Him more than our jobs and, and more than our possessions and more even than our families, that we would see in Him the greatest worth till every knee shall bow and confess that He is Lord. I mean, that is the aim of all true Christian preaching. It's Christ-centered. It's meant to exalt the glory of Christ, and that's what we're here to do. So, as you've gathered here, you've gathered here to do something incredibly important, and that is to allow Jesus to be exalted as Lord in your life as you respond to the preaching of His Word. That's what I hope to do as I preach to you this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 6 because we have been working through a series on the Lord's Prayer. And it's hard to believe that we're only one Sunday away from completing this, this series. This has been such a fun series for me. Every time I study the Lord's Prayer, I'm always discovering new things about it and how freshly applicable it is to my life. I heard that someone said earlier, I, I can't under or leave it to a preacher to be able to preach a whole sermon on just one phrase in the Bible. Well, actually, it's more than just one phrase because these phrases, these petitions in the Lord's Prayer tap into some really deep undercurrents that flow throughout all of Scripture from the very beginning to the very end. The name of God, the kingdom of God, the will of God, our daily bread, our need for sustenance. And now we come to the fifth petition, which is this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And what we've been learning, if you're new with us here this morning, if you're visiting with us for the first time and aren't aware of what we've been doing in our sermon series, we have been taking this prayer one petition at a time and unfolding it to see how it applies to our lives. And one thing that we've been learning, which has been kind of the thrust of this sermon, is if we learn to pray well, we can learn to live well. If we can learn to take the realities of our lives with all the struggles that we have, the disappointments, the grief, uh, the, the, the sense of abandonment perhaps, uh, even the joys and the triumphs, if you could take all these things, scoop them up, and take them right to the throne room of God, then you can learn to live really well. If you can learn to pray well, you can learn to live well. So would you finish that phrase with me? If you could learn to pray well, you can learn to live well. Let's do it again. If you could learn to pray well, you can learn to live well. And that's what we've been emphasizing throughout this series. Now we are here in the fifth petition, which is a very personal one. As I said earlier, these petitions are narrowing in focus. Started out really broad, hallowed be thy name. This is God's driving impulse for everything He does. And then more narrow, how does He hallow His name? He hallows His name by being king. So, your kingdom come. And now how is a king rule as king? He rules as king as his subjects submit their 
wills to the will of the king. So that's why we pray, your will be done. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then it gets really personal, right? Because in order to do the will of God, we need bread to eat. We need to survive. And last uh, week, I had a loaf of bread right here in the pulpit, and I looked at it for the first time when I was standing in front of you. And I understand a little later that some of you were struggling a little bit with that piece of bread up there, or the loaf of bread up there, because in fact, Pastor Ben said that he could just smell it wafting toward him uh, throughout the whole sermon. I apologize if I caused anybody distraction throughout that message last week. But we need daily bread to do the will of God. And now we come to this petition, forgive us our debts. And let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us understand this passage and what we need to do. Our Father, it's amazing that we can call you that. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve to be called your children. But not only have you made us your sons and daughters, but you've made us fellow heirs with Christ and partakers of the glory that is to be revealed. A glory so unimaginable that it outweighs any bit of suffering we can experience in this present life. Lord, there are some that are suffering here. Some in this room who have been deeply hurt. Some in this room who have deeply hurt others. And I pray that your word would do what it's best at. And that is piercing our hearts and revealing to us those areas that we need to submit to you, and healing the wound that has been afflicted because of sin, both ours and others. Glorify yourself, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever struggled to forgive someone? Was it really difficult? A brief look at the books category of Amazon.com reveals that forgiveness is difficult. I came across this one book description. It says this, Forgiveness is the secret to a happy life and healthy relationships, but it can be hard to do. And the title of this book was this, Forgiveness, get this, Made Easy. The Revolutionary Guide to Moving Beyond Your Past and Truly Letting Go. That one is free, by the way, on Amazon.com. I wonder why. No. Uh, I came across this other title. I wasn't sure whether to laugh or cry at this one. Forgiveness, 21 days to forgive everyone for everything. I don't know what that book is all about, but apparently it's about a lot of different things. Forgiveness, I mean, this actually kind of proves the point here. Forgiveness is hard. In June of 2015, a young man by the name of Dylan Roof entered a church in Charleston, South Carolina. And he opened fire and he killed nine of the people that had been praying there. Some of you may remember that. Some of you may remember the shock and grief and fear that followed. But what happened after that event, you may also remember, because it made the headlines. When Dylan Roof appeared for his bond hearing, and, and family members of the victims were allowed to see him face-to-face for the first time, what they said was so astonishing that it made it into the newspapers. 
Instead of spewing out words of bitterness and hatred toward the person who had snuffed out the lives of their loved ones, instead came out words of forgiveness. And I'll read this to you. This is from the Washington Post. One by one, the Post reports, those who chose to speak at a bond hearing did not return anger. Instead, while Dylan Roof remained impassive, they offered him forgiveness and said they were praying for his soul even as they described the pain of their losses. I forgive you, Nadine Collier, the daughter of 70-year-old Ethel Lance, who had been killed, said at the hearing, her voice breaking with emotion, you took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never ever hold her again, but I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You know, that kind of forgiveness, it gets our attention, not just because it's so radical and not just because it followed an event that made national news, but also because it hits us on a very personal level. Because while we see the forgiveness of those people who stood and faced the killer of their loved ones and said, I forgive you, we realize that we have people in our lives that have hurt us. I mean, is it possible that today you right now are feeling the burn of some sarcastic comment that was made months, even years ago? Perhaps you feel the dull, aching throb of someone who abandoned you at a time when you needed them most or broke your trust, their trust with you or broke a promise they had made to you or it abused you in some way and you're feeling the pain of that hurt. I mean, you can just, it comes right back into your mind and heart as soon as I describe those kind of circumstances. That's why this strikes so close, so personal. And, and all of us have been hurt. And, and usually and regrettably, it's by the people that are closest to us. A husband or a wife or a son or daughter or a brother or sister, a family member. And perhaps it even is this, this is the case at a Thanksgiving gathering that you're with family members and you're together again, maybe even with the people that have hurt you. Let me ask the question I asked a moment ago. Do you struggle to forgive that person? Why is it so hard? And where can we find the freedom to forgive? Can you remember that feeling? Does it come back to you now? What I want you to do is hold that feeling, that pain with all its aching grief. And as you hold that, Look at this petition and see what happens. Because it says this, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, did you notice what happened? Here, well, well, we think that we are the ones who have been hurt. Well, we are the ones who have been wounded and have been wronged, and the other person is the perpetrator, the one who is wounded. Suddenly we realize, no, that, that, that I have wounded someone else. It's almost like you're in a room with someone, you think it's just a, a one-on-one conversation, it's just you and the other person, and suddenly you realize there's a new dimension. Somebody else has walked into the room. There's a third person in the conversation. That's what this petition does for us. It helps us realize that the hurt that's going on is not just one way. The hurt is actually directed toward God too. And this is why I believe that studying this petition and unfolding what it means for us will contain the key to forgiveness. You see, the key to forgiveness begins not with simply understanding the other person's offense against me, but my offense against God. And it also gives us a clue as to the reason why forgiveness is so hard. And this could be the message that you have been needed to hear for a long time. 
Because perhaps that you are here this morning and you have really struggled to forgive somebody. Perhaps nobody else knows about it. Perhaps the person that wronged you has no idea how deeply they hurt you. It could be that that person has passed out of your life, but you still harbor that resentment toward them. What I want to do in the next few moments is is we unfold the meaning of this petition. My aim is that by, by exploring what it means and the implications of it, that you and I would so stand in awe of God's forgiveness of us that it would free us to forgive others. That you and I would, would so stand in, in amazement and astonishment at the massive debt that we owe to God that it would free us to go and forgive others. And to do this, we're going to walk a very simple path right through this petition. And let me just lay it out for you at the outset so you know where we're going. First of all, the first statement we're going to make is this. We have debts. We have debts. The second one is this. We're asking God to forgive us of these debts. And the third one is this. We're asking God to forgive us of these debts as we forgive the debts of others, okay? So this is kind of following the pattern that I've followed throughout the other uh, petitions. I'm making it as simple as we can. These are the truths that lie right on the surface of the passage. We have debts. We're asking God to forgive us of these debts, and we're asking God to forgive us of these debts as we forgive the debts of others. So first of all, let's look at this this statement that lies right on the surface of the petition as it assumes that we have debts. First of all, we have debts. Look very closely in verse 12. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. But also look at verse 14. Verse 14 says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. One reason why this fifth petition is so important is because it is the only petition that is followed by a further explanation after the end of this prayer. Did you notice that? Of all the other petitions, Jesus goes on to talk about forgiveness. And instead of using the word debts like he does in verse 12... What word does he use in verse 14? You see it there? He actually substitutes the word debts for something else. What is it? He uses the word trespasses. So what we discover here is these debts, whatever they are, are, can also be referred uh, referred to as trespasses. These sins are called debts. And calling them debts helps us understand truly the nature of forgiveness, and it helps us understand why forgiveness is so hard. And it also helps us understand that we are in debt to God. So as we think about the the pain of being hurt and the need to forgive others on a horizontal level, our attention must be riveted to this vertical dimension of forgiveness. And we must realize, first of all, if you are struggling to forgive somebody else, if you are struggling with holding the burning resentment in your heart towards somebody that has hurt you, you must fix your attention on this. I have debts. I have debts. And nobody likes debt. And nobody likes especially discovering they have debt when they didn't know they had debt. You know, I had that experience once. Shortly after Chris and I got married, I got a phone call, and the person on the other end of the line told me that I owed a large sum of money to a hospital in Florida. And immediately I protested and said, I don't owe anything to anybody in Florida. And as the conversation unfolded, I realized there was some truth to it. You see, 
A few weeks before Krista and I got married, my family had been on vacation in Florida, and I'd been in a swimming pool with my brother. We were playing around. He tossed me a ball, and I went to catch the ball, and I turned my head quickly, and I hit my forehead against the edge of the pool. It cut my head, and I had to go to the emergency room and get it fixed. This is in Florida. They sent me the bill, and I thought I paid the whole thing. What I didn't realize was that there was actually two bills, one to the doctor and one to the hospital. Ha! The two-bill problem. And, and one of the bills had gotten lost in all the shuffle. I mean, between getting married and starting a new job and moving and all the other things, I hadn't paid that bill. And the person on the other end of the line said, you have a debt, you haven't paid the debt, we've been trying to get in touch with you, and we're about to turn it over to a collections agency. Now, nobody has time for that. I mean, that was the last thing I wanted. And your credit score is going to be affected. It's interesting, as the person told me I had a debt, my first, my first impression was, no way, I don't owe anything, I paid this bill. And then it began to dawn on me. Oh, wow. We don't like discovering that we are in debt. But the fact is, as human beings, we do have a debt to God. Whether or not you have understood it to this point, you may be here this morning and for the first time someone is telling you you have a debt. And let me tell you, the more you begin to think about it, the more you will understand, oh, this is a real thing. This is not an imaginary thing. This is not just something that religious people are trying to throw in my face to make me feel guilty and conform to the religious ways. No, this is, this is a reality. The reality is rooted in this. You have a creator, and he created you for a specific purpose, and the purpose is to glorify him. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We owe a massive debt to God because of our sin. I mean, if we think of sin merely in terms of horizontal relationships, we're not going to be able to account for a lot of the evil in this world. This is what a secular mind likes to do. Maybe this is the way that you've thought. Like, sin is just the harm that, I, I, that people do to each other. And so if, if nobody is getting hurt, then nothing's wrong, right? I mean, that's this, this mindset. If it doesn't hurt anybody, what's wrong with it? We tend to think of, of hurt and sin merely in terms of horizontal relationships. This invades the way we tend to think about things. But if you only think of, of wrong and sin and evil in terms of horizontal relationships, you won't be able to account for a lot of the evil in the world. And so, it makes sense that we owe great, a great debt to God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned against God. The question is, how serious is this debt? It is this serious. The wages of sin is death. We are all like the Christian, the man named Christian in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. That story that was a bestseller opens up with a, the picture of a man who is carrying a massive burden on his back. And he reads in a book that he's living in what's called the city of destruction. And then he's, he's destined for, for judgment. And he wants to do anything he can 
to, to flee that city, even if it means leaving his family and be rid of that massive burden on his back. Maybe you feel like that this morning. You're all in debt to God. These debts are the debts of our sin. And this request, this petition here, forgive us our debts, assumes, first of all, that we have debts. This is a debt that no human being can bear. It is a debt that weighs more than all the water and all the oceans of the world. It's a debt that towers higher than Mount Everest. It's a debt that's, that, that makes us farther from God than, than the, the farthest star from, from the earth. This is a massive debt that no one can pay. And what are we asking for? We're asking for God to forgive us of these debts. That's the second point. The first was this. We have debts. The second is this. We are asking God to forgive us of these debts. Note carefully. Look at it in your Bibles and forgive us our debts. Note that it doesn't say, God, please overlook these debts. It doesn't merely say, God, please just allow me to pay half of this or just a part of it. No, it's a, it's a request that God would pay for it all, that He would forgive our entire debts. It's not, God, please allow me to have the time to work this debt off. It is simply this, forgive. When do we pray this prayer? We're praying that God would forgive us of these debts. This is a prayer that anybody must pray who comes to the realization for the first time that they are indebted to God. And this is also a prayer that is appropriate to be prayed when a child of God realizes that he or she has sinned against God. This is just like John says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, that if we say we have not sinned, then we're lying and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, which we must do on an ongoing basis, He is faithful and just to what? To forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, the prayer, forgive us our sin, is a prayer that begins the life of a Christian, that begins the life of a citizen of the kingdom of Christ, but it also is a prayer that continues that because we realize that on an ongoing basis we fail to glorify God and it grieves us when we fail to glorify God, and so we ask Him to forgive us of our debts. But what does it mean? What does it mean to ask God to forgive us of our debts? You see, we need to understand what God's forgiveness is. This word that's translated forgive, it also means to dismiss or to send away. And to illuminate this word, I want to tell you a couple other places in which it occurs in the New Testament in which it's translated by a different word, and I think will help you understand it a little better. In Mark 4.36, after Jesus has been with a great multitude, the Bible says that He sends them away. That is the same word that's translated forgive here. It means to dismiss or to send away. A very interesting translation of this same word occurs when Jesus Christ breathes His last breath. For Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50, it said that Jesus yielded up His Spirit. He dismissed His Spirit. He forgave it. That's the same word translated to forgive. This word forgive means to dismiss or to send away. I, I, I maybe it would help to think of it this way. It, when someone wrongs you, it's almost like they've taken this big pile of burning brush and just dumped it right on your front porch. And not only have they done potential harm to your house, 
But they've also, they've also given you some ammunition you can use on them, right? I mean, now you could just pick up this flaming stick and lob it right over to them. Now, forgiveness would be to scoop up that burning brush and bury it and put it away and not use it as a weapon against the person who dished it out against you, not use it as leverage against them, but simply dismiss it. That's why forgiveness is so hard. Because it requires that that sarcastic comment that, made, that someone made to you, that broken promise, that betrayal, to forgive that person means this. You're not going to use that as leverage against them anymore. You're not going to hurl that burning stick right back at them. And that's really hard to do. It's really hard for us to give up the leverage, the moral leverage, the revenge, the resentment, all that that we feel against the person. It's, it's hard for us to give that up because our impulse is to get back at them. And forgiving is saying, I'm burying it. But note, what we're asking here is for God to do that to our sins. For God to dismiss the sins to bury, to forgive the sins against, that we've committed against Him. But how, do, how does He do this? Because sin cannot merely be ignored. It cannot merely be just put out of mind. Sin must be paid for. It is a debt. Someone has to cover for the damage. Someone has to absorb the cost. How can that happen? That can only happen in one way, and that is by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross and giving His life to pay the debt. That's what it took for our debt to be paid. And, and also, that is how we can understand what a massive debt we owe. The debt that we owe is not a debt that can be paid by us collaborating with God. It's a debt that only God can pay because there's only one person who's perfect enough. There's only one person who is willing enough. There's only one person who is man enough, only one person who is God enough to do that. And that was our Lord Jesus Christ when He died on the cross to pay the debt of our sin. And so when we are asking, forgive us our debts, we are accepting the payment that God has made for our sin through Jesus Christ on the cross. That is what it means to ask, forgive us our debts. It is no light thing. It is no collaborative effort. It is solely God's initiative to say, I will forgive you based on what Jesus has done. This is what Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 2 and verses 13 and 14. He says, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did He do that? How did He forgive us all our trespasses? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. How did He cancel that record of debt? This He set aside. How? By nailing it to the cross. It is the cross and Jesus' death on the cross that allows our forgiveness from our debts. So the first thing to understand is this. We have debts. In this petition, we are asking God to forgive us of our debts. But the third thing to observe here is this. We are asking God to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, this phrase could be very troubling to us. Could it be that we get to heaven's gate 
only to be told that there was a grudge that we held against somebody and didn't forgive them. And it can be even more troubling when we look at verse 14 because Jesus expands upon this after this model prayer when He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But here's the, here's the kicker. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We need to note carefully what this is not saying. This is not saying forgive us our debts because we forgive our debtors. You understand what that means? In other words, it's saying that my forgiving of my debtors is not the cause of God's forgiving me. It's not what that says. It's not saying forgive me my debts because I've done a really good job forgiving those people who have, in, who have made themselves indebted to me. Our forgiveness of other people, in fact, our doing anything is never the cause of God's forgiving us. I just said earlier that this is no collaborative effort. This is something that God Himself must do. It's not as if we have some bartering going on with God. I can't say, well, I've forgiven Joe and Fred and Tom, and, and so because I've forgiven all these guys, God's going to forgive me. But if this is not what it teaches, what is it saying? It's saying this, the surest way to prove that you have accepted God's forgiveness is by turning and forgiving other people. And the surest way to prove that you have not accepted God's forgiveness is by refusing to forgive another person. The surest way to demonstrate, I have been forgiven. I am now free is by going and forgiving other people. The surest way to demonstrate I have understood this mountain of debt that stood against me is by turning around and dismissing the little molehills of debt that other people owe against me. But the surest way to demonstrate I've never even tasted of God's forgiveness is to say, I will not forgive. And you see, forgiveness is something that flows from our having forgiven by God. Remember I said the importance of understanding both the vertical and the horizontal dimensions of forgiveness? Our forgiveness of others is not what causes God's forgiveness of us. Rather, it is this way. God's forgiveness of me is what allows me to forgive other people. That's the way these are connected. And if I refuse to forgive other people, then I'm indicating that this has not been right either. The person, let me put it this way. The principle is this, it is so unthinkable that a believer has been, who has been forgiven the debt of sin should turn and refuse to forgive someone else. It is so unthinkable, in fact, that, that it reveals that this person has not truly accepted God's forgiveness. And when we ask God to forgive us our sins, we are not hypocritically withholding forgiveness from others. Rather, when we ask God to forgive us our sins, we are acknowledging also that there is no sin that anyone can commit against me that will even compare with the sin that I've done against God. The person who has been forgiven understands this. No matter how someone has cruelly treated me, they will never wrong me as much as I have wronged God. And therefore, I can never out-forgive God. This is what Jesus was getting at in His parable in Matthew chapter 18. And I want us to turn there and look at this briefly. 
This parable was prompted by a question from Peter, no doubt expecting an answer of great commendation when in verse 21, Peter comes up to Jesus and says to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And an answer intended or calculated to receive a, a compliment, he said, as many as seven times? Jesus said, I don't say seven times. Just keep on multiplying it. Why? Because the parable that Jesus was about to tell Peter helped them understand his massive debt. And he tells this parable about, about a, a servant who, who comes, or rather a king who comes to settle accounts with his servants, and he begins to settle, and there's one servant that owes 10,000 talents, an, an astonishing uh, sum that he could never in one lifetime pay. And because he cannot pay it, the, the master just forgives him of that debt and absorbs the damage and the cost himself. But what does the servant who has just been forgiven that uh, a monstrous number do? He goes and he finds someone that owes him a fraction, a tiny fraction of that sum, and he grabs him by the neck and he shakes him and he says, you pay me what you owe me. And when word gets back to the master that that's what's happened, the master was very angry and he puts him in prison and says, you will stay there until you have paid the last penny. Why? Because when you've truly accepted forgiveness, when your heart has been radically transformed by the, the astonishing forgiveness of God for you, it results in you turning around and forgiving other people. That's why when we sing this song, which I love, we, the power of the cross, there's a phrase, we stand forgiven at the cross, right? And because we stand forgiven at the cross, we can go forgiving from the cross. That's what the cross does for us. Why is it so hard to forgive? Because sin, because forgiving is dismissing a debt that someone owes to you. That's hard to do. Why is it possible to forgive? It's possible because God has forgiven you. This is what Paul meant in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 when he said this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. What? Forgiving one another. How? Why? Even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Brothers and sisters, if you, at the beginning of this message, when I asked you, identify some resentment in your heart, if you, have, if you have that, you need to listen very carefully. This could, be, this could be what you've needed to hear. Let me speak to three different groups of people as we, as we close here and make some specific application. First of all, if you have never recognized your debt to God, you're here in this building, in this room, and you're realizing for the first time, I owe something to God that I cannot pay. You must trust that the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient to pay for your sin. That's what you need to do. You need to, you need to understand that what Jesus did is for you and that your sins are so, they're worse than you ever imagined because they took Jesus to die for them. But you're also more loved than you ever could hope because Jesus did die for your sins. 
you've never realized your indebtedness to God, that's what you need to do. Perhaps you're one who has refused to forgive. Perhaps you're holding resentment. You've refused to extend forgiveness. Let me just warn you. If, if the request to forgive is meant by a firm, stubborn, never, the words of Jesus should be a warning to you because it is a sign that your heart has not, perhaps has not been truly gripped by the forgiveness that God has extended to you. It's a very serious thing to withhold forgiveness. To those who have never recognized your indebtedness to God, you need to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. To those who refuse to forgive, be warned. But third, and this probably applies to all of us, to those who have suffered serious hurt and you struggle to forgive. Let me just say this. In most cases, the wrong that you've been suffered is never going to be resolved in a neat and tidy way. It'll probably never be resolved by this nice and neat and tidy meeting between you and the offender in which they humbly come and say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And you realize they truly understand the degree to which they have hurt me. And now I say, yes, I, I forgive you. And it's, it's all settled. It's, it probably won't get solved that way, although in an ideal world, perhaps it would be. Maybe it, maybe it would be. But usually sin is a lot messier than that, isn't it? Usually sin complicates things a lot more. The person who hurt you might have moved on or even passed away. Can you still forgive that person? Are you in your rights to withhold forgiveness and to get that burning pile of brush of resentment and hold it to yourself? You should understand that by doing that, you only hurt yourself. And even though the person may not come to you and ask for forgiveness, you can pray this way, by God's grace, I will not allow that person's sin to dominate my life. I will not allow that person's hurt to me to affect the way I treat other people. This is the determination, no doubt, that Joseph came to in the book of Genesis when Joseph had been sold into slavery and treated cruelly by his brothers. You remember this? How that through the many years when they finally met, Joseph said, well, I recognized all along that, yes, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And he was able to trust that. That's what you can do with the hurt that you're experiencing in your life. Even if the person would never come to you and ask for forgiveness, you don't have to be dominated by their sin. You can dismiss it and stand ready to forgive, realizing that God is doing something good in your life, even through the hurt that you've suffered. Realizing that you can only harm yourself by holding that within, using it, using it as an excuse to be bitter, angry, and resentful and stunted in your Christian life. Let me also say this. Forgiveness is one step to restoration, but it may not be the only step. Here's what I mean. You may have been hurt in a way that is very serious especially if you're a child or teenager, you may have been abused in some way that you're aware of. And I would urge you, if that's you, you need to talk to somebody you can trust. Because, yes, while forgiveness is an important step, there may be steps that, other, that may be, need to be taken that you may need to get other people involved in. Forgiving someone doesn't necessarily mean that everything gets back to normal. 
Forgiveness is an essential step, but it perhaps is not the only step. And if you are hurting, if you feel like you have been abused in some way, let me urge you to talk to someone you can trust. If you're a young person, if you're a person who feels like you've been abused in some way. But this is the principle that we are taught to learn here by this petition. We must first recognize that we are in debt to God. And when we recognize how enormous the enormity of our debt to God, only then can we be free to forgive others. That's why we pray, our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, you know our hearts. You know those who are hurting and who need help. I pray that if there's anyone who has been holding out resentment against someone who has been struggling to forgive, that, that today would be the day that they would forgive. I also pray that if there's anyone who has not accepted your forgiveness, I pray that they would also come to realize the debt they owe to you and to believe that Jesus paid that debt of the cross. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.